Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. This episode is brought to you by Line and Sight. Line and Sight is an innovative community where anglers can sign up, post their own articles, follow other anglers, and earn points online. Devoted to the sport, Line and Sight promotes all methods of fishing year-round with videos, interviews, how-to guides, plus the latest and greatest in product reviews. You'll even find regular giveaways of high-end product as well as fresh weekly content about all things fishing. Check them out at www.lineandsight.com. It's likely that Donald Trump Jr. needs no introduction. This June, I had the opportunity to meet with Donald in New York City to find out more about his upbringing, passion for the outdoors, and, albeit brief, his stance on public land. While this show has never been about people's fathers, political conversation was also off the table, but my curiosity was not. And so I headed up the Gold Trump Tower elevator to see what I might learn about the man the media has so much to say about. The podcast is really a timeline. So when I reached out to you, I had said to you, look, we're not going to talk politics because that isn't what the show is about. Hey, that's uh, welcoming. Uh, It's (laughs) nice to not talk about politics or business (laughs) these days. So I'm psyched. Cool. Good midweek break. Yeah, we will. We'll take a break. Where were you born and raised? I I was born and raised here in uh, New York City in uh, 1977, uh, New Year's Eve 77. So I just made that cut, but uh, basically 78. And uh have lived here most of my life other than, uh, you know, boarding school, college, and a little stint in Colorado after college to get some stuff out of my system, mostly fishing, okay. uh, before, you know, coming back and entering uh, this world. Right, this world. This world. Which we'll get to at some point. So were you born into a fishing family? You know, not really. Uh, you know, my father's, you know, he's a workaholic. That's what he does. He works and he's, he's into that. But uh, I had a grandfather uh, on my mother's side who was from you know, what was then Czechoslovakia and, you know, blue collar guy who's an electrician over there. He saw a lot of the benefits of obviously growing up in this country and this family with some, you know, being blessed in, you know, in many respects. At the same time, I think he also saw some of the pitfalls. And uh, so from a really young age, about five, I went with him to, you know, again, then communist Czechoslovakia and spent, you know, five, six weeks with him every summer there. I spoke the language fluently and it was just the antithesis of 
you know, New York City in this lifestyle. And we always got out of the city on the weekends and all that stuff. So, you know, I sort of grew up outdoors. But, you know, that was a whole different thing. It was just, you know, there's the woods. I'll see you at dark. I love um, it. You know, and I just, you know, lived in the woods and I had friends and I spoke the language. And, uh, you know, he taught me sort of the basics of, you know, very basics of, you know, fishing, uh, you know, woodsmanship, how to shoot, how to shoot a bow, how to shoot an air gun. Oh, so he was. So a- he, he started me. He started me off and, you know, really, again, just wanted to make sure I understood the other side. And, you know, when you go to. You know, Czechoslovakia in the eighties. Yeah, from New York City and a you know wealthy family. It was just you couldn't imagine more opposite things. But it was really time around a campfire and you know people who were just. It was about relationship and interpersonal communication and talk. It was just such a different experience. It was incredible. It was really uh, probably shaped the way I am today. Then you know he passed away when I was about twelve. About the same time, my parents were going through a pretty you know messy divorce. But that really sort of started my love for the outdoors and all things outdoors. And so I went to boarding school that year in sort of central Pennsylvania. Um, you know, again, you know, pretty far from, uh, you know, New York city and all the craziness that was going on here. And there was a you know, gentleman there, uh, one guy that sort of taught me the basics of a fly, uh, cast right. and fly fishing. But I mean, when I say basics, I mean, for the first like two years of my fly fishing career, I still reeled in like streamers every time I cast like that. So it it was, it was basically like, you know, 10 to 10 to here you go. Like here's an LL Bean link starter rod. But (laughs) you know, for some reason I, I just, I I, I took a hold to it. And there was another gentleman there who was Dean of students and he was just a great wing shooter. I mean, this is an old school place, all guy boarding school, one of the last in the country, big feeder school to the academies. And so it was sort of a disciplined place. I mean, we still had a rifle range on campus. We had skeet and trap, you know, ranges and stuff. And, you know, I took a liking to it, was pretty decent at it naturally. And so this guy, Dean of Students, uh, you know, one day says, after, you know, meet me at 6 a.m. in the parking lot and dress warm. And, you know, if if you heard that today, (laughs) people would be pushing panic buttons. (laughs) I just sort of like, okay, let's see what happens. you know, took me on my first like upland bird shoot, uh, you know, with him at you know, whatever. I just got my hunter safety license and he took me on this thing and just was like a mentor. And how old um, are you at this point? I, you think? Probably 14, you this know, is and so cool. Was it was just backtracking a little bit. Was your grandpa, was this particular grandpa, your mom's dad? That was my mom's father. Yeah. Was your mom outdoorsy at all? Uh, she was, I mean, but more in the sense of like, she was an Olympic skier, yeah. uh, you know, real accomplished athlete that way. So we were always outdoors and, you know, if we went somewhere, we went to Colorado and we went skiing there. And so, you know, she kept us busy and active and if we did something, it was, you know, we were lucky. We got to do a lot of cool things. We'd spend summers on the Mediterranean a lot of times as well. You know, so I do Czech Republic and then do the other half, you know, with her on a boat. So it's, you know, spear fishing or fishing or something the whole time. So we were always very outdoorsy that way. Boarding school sort of brought me into the fly fishing world and a little bit of the, the you know, the hunting and shooting world. Now you say boarding school like it's like this regular thing. But, it, it's probably, it's not, but, but I mean, it is for me because it's what I know. I right? I went in eighth grade, so I was what, yeah, 13 probably totally. years old. And, well, 13 is such a, an important age. Well, and and I ask because I admittedly have refrained from Google stalking you yeah. um, for a reason. Because I like well, usually, I mean, yeah, and what uh, you see online a, is often very biased, anyway, yeah, one way or the other. So it's, there's a whole lot of reasons yeah. why it just didn't work. But like, did your so did you? I don't know the age difference between your siblings. Did you have a sibling you could go outdoors with? You know, I, you know, I'm four years older than my sister and six years older than my brother. So at that time, uh, there's sort of a big difference. Now, my right. my brother is you know into the stuff like I am. I mean, you know, phenomenal shooter, you know, shotgun guy, rifle guy, also a hunter. Then it was different. So like we're, we do more of that stuff today. So I was, I was perhaps the mentor to him in the outdoors that my grandfather was to me. Right. You know, in terms of getting, getting me started, getting me out there at other friends along the way. And he went to the same school, uh, you know, for high school. So, you know, sort of similar experience and, you know, growing up, you know, doing these sort of things, but it fundamentally sort of changed, you know, the direction uh, of my life. You probably do not know this, but I am from a city called Surrey, British Columbia. Uh-huh. I had to get away, and so I went fishing. Right. So we probably had very different upbringings. When you say boarding school, I wonder, like in my head, it's one of two ways. Either you're surrounded by kids your age who have completely different mm-hmm. hobbies, or you found the occasional kid who had maybe a father or something who taught them the outdoors? Like, yeah, did you I, find anyone? I, I think there was a little bit of that, but like I said, I think it was really you know this gentleman Gordon McGelpin, who was the dean of students there. Yeah, I just saw that I had a passion for it, perhaps more than 
you know, some of the kids who, you know, they'd go to the rifle range once a month and sort of check it off their list. Like I yeah. went shooting, whereas, you know, that's what I wanted to do. It was, but did uh, you ever feel alone? Like, did you ever feel like you didn't have anyone who really understood you at that age? It's probably still the case, right? I mean, when, when you grow up in, in this environment, and you're into the stuff that I am in. Listen, don't get me wrong. There's a crowd in New York that's very into this stuff. They're just sure. very quiet about it because, you know, perhaps unlike me, they're not willing to, you know, take the potential heat for being a hunter, for being a shooter, for being, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, I post fishing pictures and it's terrible. That, you know, now 99% of what <laughs> I'm doing is, laugh, I have a cold. you know, 99% of what I'm doing is catch and release. Anyway, but hey, every once in a while, you're going to keep a fish or every once in a while, you know, they're going to swallow the hook a little too far and we, you know the release isn't going to work. It's a blood sport, yeah. You know, there, there's an element of it uh, to that. And, but, I mean, people even have a visceral reaction to that, which is uh, really such a shame because, you know, I look at perhaps me, not to say that I was ever an angel, but, you know, the outdoor pursuits, whether it be hunting, whether it be fishing, whether it be, you know, the camping, those kind of trips, you know, and, you know, waking up at, you know, Oh, dark 30. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being, you know, in waders, you know, it kept me out of so much other trouble I would have gotten into right. as a kid that, you know, from my kids, like all of my kids, they're, you know, they're shooting air guns already. You know, they're, they're, they're fishing, you know, the little one. And I mean, they do all of these things. I mean, we were, we were just traveling, you know, took them down to the Bahamas for a couple of days and like all, like, I don't think we had a meal that we didn't catch ourselves for that trip. And, you know, so when I look at just the positive sort of life experiences, the, the patience that's so lacking in kids today, uh, you know, the, the real, what you have to do to get proficient, you know, at these games, the discipline. I mean, these are all things that, again, feel so lacking uh, today in society in general, where it's all about instant gratification and instant occupation. And, you know, so if I can do, uh, and it's really, I mean, I, I sort of, I know we're not talking politics, but like, it sort of became a platform of me even on the campaign, which was like, I'm going to talk to hunters and fishermen and all these kind of things. Cause like we get it. It's, it's a little different. And I think it was helpful to be able to do that. Cause for me and my life, I think the outdoors kept me out of so much other trouble I would have gotten into if I didn't have to wake up at four, if I didn't have like, you know, a tree stand or a duck blind or a river I was, you know, driving to, you know, at the crack of dawn. And man, I want to do that for my kids. I want to make sure that I get them away from a video game or I yeah. get them off of a couch and into the woods. And I, I think for them, it's going to be a, a life lesson, whether they choose to pursue those things on their own later on or not, hmm. you know, knowing that it exists. And again, the discipline associated therewith uh, is huge. Yeah. And you know what else it is? I think anyway, it's a, it is an independence, right? Like you yes. develop this independence and you get to inevitably learn who you are. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? So from two different upbringings, it ends up being the same result. Yeah, and you know, for me, you know, you mentioned sort of was it ever lonely? I, I never thought of it that way because I was always fine by myself doing those things. It was mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to be doing. So if there was someone else, great. Uh, if there wasn't, just as good. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I probably the first graduate of the Wharton School of Finance, where my father went to business school to move to Colorado to be a bartender for a year and a half after school, <laughs> so I could basically fish and hunt and you know get a year to make sure I knew what I was getting myself into entering you know this lifestyle. Well, let's talk about that. So high school. Now, yes. now you're 13, 14. You go through high school. Are you still obviously really an, you're an avid outdoorsman at that point? You know, I mean, probably always avid, you know, woodsman, camping, this kind of stuff. You know, the high school is probably when I got into the hunting side of things and, oh, okay. and the fly fishing side of things. You know, my grandfather had me fishing. But again, when you were, you know, an electrician, yeah. you know, blue collar guy from communist Czechoslovakia, there was no hunting for you. You weren't allowed to do that. Oh, You know, there was a whole okay. different, you know, there was a, a class system. So if you weren't, you know, one of the big wigs, yeah. you didn't get to do those things. I mean, and that's really the case in much of Europe anyway. It's not like America. I mean, there it's a blue, you know, it's a, it's a real, you know, elitist sport. Whereas here it's, you know, per, sometimes perceived the opposite and certainly in, in some of those pursuits. So I didn't get to do that really until, you know, and I learned sort of the American, you know, American style of shooting, not the European, all dressed up in ties. It was, it was a little different. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I didn't start the hunting and really the fly fishing stuff till, you know, probably my mid teens. But, you know, once I got that, it was, I read every book, met every guy. I'm sort of an outgoing person anyway. So if I was at a show or if I was somewhere, I'd, I'd strike up a conversation. I think, you know, listen, I imagine probably curiosity and my last name has gotten me in and into sort of a lot of doors that when they're like, wait a minute, 
You would. Well, you know, you don't ever drop it, but people sort of like, wait a second. And then you sort of, and you're like, wait a minute, this guy's not what I would necessarily expect. Let's, (laughs) hey, let's invite him to camp. And then I can't tell you how many industry friends that sort of threw out the casual, hey, you know, we're doing a, you know, a duck hunt or we're doing a pronghorn hunt out here. You know, if you want to come along, it's like, all right, I'll be there when. Like, really? Wait, you're you're actually going to show up? It's like, yeah, I show up with my duffel bag and my rifle. We go have a great time. And, uh, you know, I've met some of my closest friends that way. Yeah, because it threw me off, actually. When I found out you were an ador- outdoors person, I mm-hmm. started following you on on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I, curiously, I went through your the people you follow, mm-hmm. and my jaw dropped. It's like every single industry, all the yeah, fly fishing companies. And, and a lot of them, you know, again, a lot of them are actual, you know, personal friends. friends. I mean, some I, I follow because I, I love the product or whatever it may be, but, you know, others, you know, are guys that are buddies of mine. Yeah, whether like they, George being one of your friends, you know what I mean? I just yeah. had no idea. Well, George is awesome. I mean, I assume we're talking George Daniel. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, great guy. And, you know, he, you know, he uh, when he was over, you know, in PA doing, you know, the flying shop thing, a buddy of mine that was one of the big guys in the Catskills because I've been going up there and I have, that's where I spend a lot of my weekends. And I have a cabin, you know, on the East Branch of the Delaware. And so I sort of got immersed in that world. Uh, with you know the the guys there, and uh, it's like, hey, like I gotta learn Euro nymphing. It's like you gotta call my buddy George. He, right, you, you know what I mean? Did. And and so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll call George. You know, and you know, spent a weekend on the river, and you know, in, in the Catskills, and then a couple of days on his home water. And I mean, you know, it was just in the last ten years of fishing, I learned more in a weekend with someone like a George than I had. You know, and I'm always writing down a journal. I'm always being like, okay, this worked here. How do I incorporate this into some other kind of fishing? I'm pretty diligent about it. I have my fishing journal on my desk. I could, <laughs> so it's, you know, but it was like, oh my God, that just opened my eyes. This is a few years ago now to, you know, sort of the Euro, you know, tight lining world. Yeah. And I was like, okay, how do I incorporate this into steelheading? You know, when right. I go up to the, you know, the Pulaski area of New York and the Lake Ontario trips and all that stuff. It was, you know, man, it's amazing what you can actually learn just when you think you've sort of like, okay, I've maxed out. It's like, Boom! There's a whole another world that you haven't even you know opened the door to, and so yeah, I've gotten to know a lot of these guys, and they've become real good friends, and just have a good time. You graduate high school. Mm-hmm. What on earth do you want to do with yourself? You know, I probably didn't know. I mean, I think listen, I grew up in a business world. I grew up on construction sites. You know, that was the stuff that my father had us doing. It wasn't like you know, congratulations, you have the corner office, and you're 14, and it, you know, it was sort of. Hey, you want to build a building one day? You better know how to do it from the ground up. So go start digging a foundation. I mean, you know, so, you know, I joke, I'm the only son of a billionaire that can drive a D10 Caterpillar because I actually did it. And, you know, it's yeah. not talking about it in theory, it's actual practice. And so, you know, we, we were doing a lot of that stuff. So I think there was probably always an element that assumed, you know, I was going to go into the family business because I was just immersed at it at such an early age. But that said, I did go to business school and then went to Colorado to be a bartender. Not exactly. <laughs> okay, can you tell me about that? What do you mean? So you, I mean, did you ever think about guiding or going into the you industry? Know what? I, it was interesting. I had, I had friends that guided and, you know, I may or may not have guided, you know, on occasion if they woke up a little too hungover to take, you know, their clients out and stuff, right. <laughs> you know, so it was, it, honestly, I think my problem was I didn't have necessarily the patience to go through it with, you know. Usually some guy, well, son, I've been fly fishing for 47 years. It's like, yeah, but one day a year doesn't exactly, like, you know, I've I've fly fished 47 times in the last, you know, two months, like, (laughs) probably more. And so I I didn't. Welcome to my life, by the way. By the way. Welcome to my life. And as you know, you know, I'm just, I'm friends with so many guys that I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know how you necessarily do it now. They're they're incredible people for, you know, and and it's funny, like even with my kids, when I'm like, when I take them out fishing, I'll be like, come on, like I'll grab a guide and be like, we're we're floating today because I just, (laughs) you need to teach them because I can't do it. I don't have, I'm a little too like, why can't you do what I'm doing right now? (laughs) It's. Um, so it, it, it's a little different, but you know, I, I may have done a little bit, but I think really it was more about that then became work Smart. and good call. And I was like, wait a second. It's, you know, and, and by the way, even, even for me being out there and having access to it that much, you start taking it for granted a little bit that it was like, okay, you know, I did it for over a year. Um, you know, like I said, I fished or hunted, you know, probably 90% of the days I was out there, you know, this or, is why you're bartending. Yeah, well, so I, well, I worked at night. at night. Yeah, so yeah. I worked at night, and so I had the days free, and it was just about, okay, I'll sleep less and deal with it. And uh, so it, it was just an awesome experience, but it also made me realize, like, wait a minute, like, I, I may need a little bit more, and let me do something else, and then at least I can afford to go do the really cool trips and, and do the stuff that I, you know, I get to do. You made the right call. 
Probably. I mean, there, there, there are times you always wonder. It's like, wait a second. What if you just went totally different? And it's like, I did go totally different. But right. like, you know, 18 months is pretty solid commitment, but not, not totally. But I think, again, for me, for what it is, for what I want for my kids, probably the right call. I love the hesitation there. Yeah, there listen, there's, the always, hesitation. there's always, like I said, I did it to make sure there wasn't uh, any doubt. But, uh, and, and I do think it was, it was probably time for me to get out there where your brain starts to sort of atrophy, especially when you're also working at the bar scene. It's sort of that, that, that becomes a little, uh, little hectic as well. So it was, it was, it was the right call. Yeah. It was the right call. No, you just got back from vacation. So you just yeah. had a proper fishing vacation, right? Yeah. It, it, well, it took the kids away. Yeah. This was a, you know, not as hardcore as sort of the throw on a 70 pound pack and I'll see you in two weeks. Right. You know, sheep hunt type of stuff that I also do. This was, you know, great Bahamas trip and just, you know, but it was a family trip. So we took the kids on everything and yeah. you know, teaching them, you know, snorkeling for the little ones and, you know, how to work a pole spear for my older ones and, right. you know, just getting out and catching fish and cooking them and diving for conch and it was just an awesome time. Do you go through any sort of weird feelings when you come back to work? I know for me, when I go from having a trip to then coming back into my actual office job, uh, there's always a little bit of, I mean, even though I'll be at yeah. my office job still in fishing, it's still a bit of a shock to myself. There's always sort of the, you know, the real problem is the, once you're gone for a few days, the anxiety of, what oh am I my God, what am I to? coming back to? Because sometimes, yes. you know, you can have the most amazing trip, but you come back and you feel relaxed. And within three hours, you're like, oh my God, I'm so much worse off than if I just didn't, <laughs> if I just didn't place. go in the first place. Yes. And so, you know, and again, for me, especially because, you know, there's the guys and you, you know them and you probably fish with a lot of them that sort of, they do their once a year trip. Like for me, it's, it's not really a, it's really a lifestyle. So it's, I'm doing the stuff every weekend and whatever time I have free. And so it is a little bit harder because it's a full commitment. And so you're sort of in both worlds and, you know, this world still never slows down even when you're away. So there's an element of, oh, ugh. Yeah, that, yeah, that describes yeah, it perfectly. Yeah, it is yeah. about the best, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the extent of what I can come up with. But it, um, but you make it work. You do. So that was your time in Colorado. Correct. And then? You know, continued. I mean, I was the guy that, we have some land up in, you know, New York and stuff. I mean, I would finish, I'd set my classes up in the morning so that I could be done by noon, get in my car, drive back, bow hunt in the afternoon, you know, I, like drive two hours and then back in college that night, you know, just to be able to get the stuff in. And then, you know, you have some pretty great, you know, Spring Creek type fishing in Pennsylvania. So I did a lot of that then. So I, you know, I always stayed with it even when I was in college in terms of the outdoor stuff. And then, you know, every summer, usually just, you know, get in my car, you know, I'd work for the first two months and then take the last month and just get in my car, drive out West, sleep in my truck most nights. And so you do do that stuff. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I've driven cross country solo three times. Cause you know, there's a misconception of, and I get the same misconception because I work in the industry. People assume that you, that let's talk about you. It's not about yeah. me. They assume that you've only been to the fancy lodges, the fancy <laughs> private properties, Far the from fancy. It. Yeah. So you've done the dirt. Bag I, I, stuff. I spend, you know, I mean, like I said, you know, it's hard to sometimes with my schedule again, you know, do every hunt as a do it yourself. But like when I'm, you know, my weekend hunts, when I'm around here, like I'm putting up my own tree stands. I don't have yeah. people doing that stuff. I'll plant my own food plots. You know, I mean, we, you know, that stuff that we actually do and taking, I mean, half of the, you know, the joy of the hunt is actually putting in all that work and then getting to enjoy it later. So yeah, no, I, d I get to do some really cool stuff, you know, but you know, I, I think if you, know, you spend enough time with guys in the industry that have actually hunted with me or guys that have actually shot with me, you know, on the competitive circuits or whatever it is, like, I think I have some decent street cred. I was just in Pulaski doing a spay event, and I mentioned that I was going to be meeting with you, and the guys were like, he was a Somerset. He was actually a really down-to-earth guy. Yeah. No, so no. before I fast forward to that, um, walk me through, like, 20, when did you finish school? 25? 20, I graduated in, yeah, I graduated in 2000. Um, okay. So, you know, so I graduated college 2000 did, you know, Colorado and basically came here after 9-11. Okay. Um, so, you know, right after 9-11, I basically moved back here and, you know, I was actually in Colorado, like elk hunting during, when 9-11 happened. I came oh, out of the no. woods without, you know, public land, not, you know, on some ranch or, you know, public land bow hunting um, in, uh, in Colorado, came out, you know, got in my car. I was like, whoa. And it was basically at that moment, I was like, okay, time to go home. And uh, so, I, you know, I did that and started, you know, working in the real estate world and doing that and just taking my vacations to hunt and fish and, uh, you know, pretty much most of my weekends. All right. So you sound like you've been pretty even keeled your entire life. Like, am I missing anything here? Uh, I guess define even keeled. <laughs> if you look online, I'm a savage or an idiot or whatever it may be. Well. This, like, you know, it, it, uh, 
you know, it, it's a different way. I think in my own mind, yeah, definitely. I've sort of stayed true to what I've always, what I've been for a long time. But like I said, for me, it's not, I'm hunting or fishing so I can talk about it at a cocktail party and show someone that I'm a rugged individual. Yeah, it it's actually like my that. lifestyle. It's just what I do. Let's talk about a couple other things before I take you to the elephant in the room. So, um, you're married. Yes. You got five kids. Five kids. Holy shit. I have one yeah. here right now. Oh, good. It's congratulations. My, thank you. That's my first and I'm freaking out. Uh, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. It's very binary. Uh, you know, once you have kids, everything changes permanently. It's a, uh, you know, but yeah, with five, it's probably even more so because, so we got 10, uh, eight, uh, five, four, and three. And oh so, God. yeah, we got five kids in seven years. So it's a, it's a zoo, but you know, my little buddy, uh, my, my oldest son is really into the stuff that I'm into. So, I mean, I, I took him up last year to the Yukon, you know, on a pretty intense caribou hunt as I, you know, when he was then seven. Uh, and I mean, it's like a mountain goat, man. He just went every, you know, he wasn't carrying weight. We were carrying weight, but I mean, he hung in there with us. I mean, it would be, you know, leave camp at, you know, seven in the morning and you know what it is up there at, you know, that time of year, it's light till two in the morning. We'd get back at camp at four in the morning some days. And I just remember him looking up at me like, as he's like, you know, passing out. I mean, you just like stick a candy bar in his mouth every three hours to give him a little, little juice. And he's like, dad, it's like, just just don't go out with me in the morning. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I, I barely want to go out in the morning. And he, this little kid wants to keep going. <laughs> I, you know, I took him to Alaska for 10 days of fishing. It's you know, my brother's bachelor party rather than doing sort of the, the no upside Vegas, you know, bachelor party thing. We're like, no, 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 we'll go to a lodge in Alaska with you know, our 10 closest friends and just you know, had an awesome time. And I, you know, he was just, you know, dad, dad. I was like, oh my God, you, they, this, you, this you would appreciate because you would understand it from their perspective. I mean, you get off like, you know, the plane and King Salmon, and the guides see a five-year-old kid getting off the plane, and you just saw their faces like, oh, my oh, God. no. And like, like, he was a rock star, man. He just went everywhere we went. I mean, they literally were like, well, we can't go to that creek because it's like a seven-mile hike out at the end of the day because the plane can't take off with all the gear. You know, they'll drop off in some of these postage stamps, little lakes, and yeah. they can land. They just can't take off with all the gear and all the extra people. And he's like, Dad, I can do it. The, the guide literally pulls me aside. He's like, listen, man, I carried a 12-year-old out of here like last week, and this is a five-year-old kid. And I was just like... Well, you know, I got a bigger pack. I'll I'll bring that and I'll stick them in it and carry them out myself if I have to. Like, don't worry. He, he just did it on his own. Just he did do it. You know, it just did it on his own. So he's he's got whatever sickness I have for this. See, stuff. that inspires me that uh, my baby's going to oh, yeah, do all right. You, you, you know, just the biggest thing for me was just you got to take the chance. Yeah. Meaning, I know that there's a, there's a potential that I could ruin my entire vacation by bringing him, but you just got to take that risk and you you put him in the situation and they'll usually rise to the occasion. And I, I think it was an incredible lesson for him. I mean, he, he was like one of the guys at five and, you know, just has always carried that. So it, it's been really good. That's pretty inspiring. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, what's your role today? What do you do today? Today Besides sit in this fancy gold uh, building uh, yeah, with lots you know, of security, uh, real estate, you know, I guess, you know, running the business. So everything from, it's sort of a weird job description because it's basically anything that needs to get done within the business, which is, you know, there's development component, there's a golf and, you know, resort component, there's hotels, commercial buildings, leasing, all of these things. So, you know, sort of a full-on developmental slash, you know, management role here at the Trump Organization. So you're not involved in any of the politics? You know, I stay involved on the on the periphery, meaning I'm, I'm pretty vocal and social on some of these platforms only because, you know, someone has to be. Is it uh, frustrating? It is. Well, you know, listen, for me, I spent the last two years as like a tip of a spear, you know, on a, you know, probably the greatest political upset in history. You, you know, when, when you talk about like I'm David Canadian, and Goliath, you know, in terms <laughs> of going up against a machine and going up against the media, going up and, you know, so to go from that to then be like, okay, now you're out of the game. It's like, okay, I can play by those rules, but I'm still going to be talking because, hey, listen, it's a, especially for, you know, a guy that's a conservative, it's a very biased world. I mean, the media is not the same. I mean, it's, you know, they come from a world, they still can't believe it. They're still shocked, you know. You know, I remember it was like similar to like Brexit. You know, I was in the UK opening up a golf course during Brexit, and you know, sp you speak to the media people. What do you? Brexit's never going to happen. It can never going to happen. Then I go speak with our greenskeepers, and you know, finishing up. The they, go, they look at me like I'm stupid, asking the same question. Be like, "What do you mean it's over? We're gone." It's just, you know, I, I think I've become pretty vocal on it, just because I think there needs to be a voice for the other side, and I think that voice, you know, spoke pretty loudly during the election that there is a, a group of people and a pretty large group of people that just have been forgotten, that haven't had a voice, that don't have a soapbox. And I think, you know, I've resonated reasonably well with a lot of those people. And so to kind of make sure that that voice is heard, I've, I've stayed active that way, but I'm not involved in the administration in any way because, 
you know, for the obvious reasons. If we can have the president's son, who obviously has a voice, be yeah. passionate about the outdoors, it's really important. Oh, listen, I've taken a lot of heat for it, especially, you know, even the fishing, but especially the hunting. Well, let's, let's just, let but, me tell you the honest truth about yeah. something and you're not going to like it. Well, mm-hmm. you probably won't care, but I told my mom I was going to come podcast you. Yeah. I got an email and it said, are you out of your mind? He's a trophy hunter. I said, well, mom, to be fair, you don't really know what that means. Yeah. And, you know, she mentioned... It's a good soundbite until you actually look at the... So she mentioned the elephant tail. And she said, you need to ask him about it. And the reality is this, just for people listening, wondering why I'm not asking you about being a trophy hunter. Because the reality is, is if you dive into enough background about trophy hunting, usually there's a conservation reason behind it. Of course. And you're just not the right person to ask. If I'm going to do that podcast for all of you listening, if I'm going to do that podcast, it's going to be with a biologist. Unless there's something you'd like to address on trophy hunting. I I sit on the board of Boone and Crockett, probably one of the oldest conservation organizations in the world. I'm probably the youngest guy on there. I've been very outspoken about it. And Listen, even places like the New York Times have done articles about, hey, like Africa hunting and the trophy hunting thing. Like When you look at the economies of it, and it's hard to look at an animal is, you know, an economic model. I get that. But when you look at what happens in, in these villages, and I've spent plenty of time there, and you see it, you know, the lion that they want to preserve when you live in a building like this that we're in right now, it's great and majestic. When you live in a village and you walk five miles through high grass to there and you're tending cattle and they're killing them, they, it, it doesn't get looked at the same way over there. And so if they don't have a value per se economically, meaning a hunter comes in, they're spending a lot of money and they're doing these things. It feeds that entire economy to a, you know, this isn't like a, Hey, they're replacing one job with another. This is a guy that's making more in a week than he would have made in a year. It it changes. It forces people themselves to be active about it. And like I said, this isn't just me speaking as a hunter. I mean, when the New York times, not exactly a bastion of conservative thought, uh, you know, it's writing articles about, Hey, well, we may want to revisit this, you know, it, it's a big deal because you see what happens. You see what, you know, when the hunters are, you know, they're funding the anti-poaching stuff. Right. Uh, you know, you know, hunters are the original conservationists. That's why as an American, we have so much public land, which I was a big advocate of, you know, frankly, on the campaign trail. Well, that's what I'm going to be asking you about. Um, uh, yeah. Before I go out on public land, and that's actually not what I came here to ask you about, but I am going to ask you. No worries. Um, what was with the elephant tail thing, just so I know? Elephant tail, like basically, you know, hunting, you know, an elephant. And over there, what used to be was the tradition was for the old ivory hunters was that the tail was essentially the currency. It, was, it showed possession. And so when you have people, you get something down like that, they're, they're very excited. It's, you know, what they do for a living. It's their job. So they say, hey, no, you have to do this. I didn't know what, you know, I was like, who am I to disrespect their tradition? Someone finds the picture, they put it up, everyone goes on the attack. But, you know, what was interesting about it is, you know, of course they say, Donald Trump Jr. poaching and, you know, well, well they don't talk, they don't talk about it with Trump poaching. They don't talk about the conservation aspect. They don't talk about that these are all licensed things and they're totally, you know, sanctioned. You know, the retraction gets put on the back of some page three weeks later after it's national news. But I guess, you know, in the end, what was, you know, basically a bad two weeks ended up being a really good thing for me because of what I'm so into. Because I met so many other people that basically came out and were like, thank you for having a voice for hunters. Right. Thank you for being a voice for conservation and, and these things. Because, again, you're never going to hear that from certainly not the mainstream media. Um, you know, people sort of hear their soundbite and this is what it is and it's terrible and they don't get what actually happens. You know, Especially I, when they could sell you as being barbaric. Correct. You know, they make you into a savage in this, but I, I sort of did the... You know, whether it's genetic, I can't help myself. It's not, you know, we don't do the, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll never, I'll never do that again. It was like, no, here's what actually happened. Here are the facts, and you, you fight back and push back. And so uh, it ended up being something that actually opened me up to a lot of the great people in, in that world that I've gotten to meet. And, and I think it is an important message to have because I've also seen that. I've seen, you know, the remnants of what happens, you know, poaching over there. I've seen, you know, the cattle that was killed by a lion or a leopard that then gets doused with lye or some other poison by the local villagers because they're saying, well, if we can't have hunting of this in here, guess what? If they're killing our cattle, that's our livelihood. We're going to kill them. And you kill, you know, you poison that carcass. All of a sudden, the whole pride is gone. Yeah, we're going to kill it it's, anyway. I got it. I uh, see what you're saying. You know, there, there is, you know, a very real element of that. So, you know, I'm involved in a lot of the organizations that spend a lot of money trying to protect this habitat. And like I said, you know, it's, it's why the U.S. is the way it is because of guys like Roosevelt and, you know, that put aside, 
you know, land for fauna and flora that actually created this national park system. And so, you know, again, making sure that that stays public and available to all is really well, important for that, me. Now you've got me really confused. And before any of you think to even send me an email about anything to do with hunting, send me a biologist name and I will sit down and we'll have the discussion from scratch. Public land. That's where you got my attention. Coming up, Donald and I talk public land, life before the election, and of course, fishing. Again, be sure to check out Line Insight at www.lineinsight.com. With over 80 writers, Line Insight is committed to recruiting new columnists each month, and their Facebook presence is growing just as rapidly. Be sure to check them out on social media or at www.lineinsight.com. Now, it's totally different for me because I'm in Canada. We've got a different system. Yes. I thought that you guys, I thought that the Trump family, and that does not mean you because you, you're not your dad, mm-hmm. but I thought you guys were trying to make all of the land available for purchase so that it could be sold off no, to the devil. That's, that's, you know, again, that's one of those, you know, mainstream, uh, that's the soundbite. That is oftentimes the Republican platform. Not not necessarily so that it could be sold off wherever, but they want more state control. They want less government control. The real problem with what I've always had with the Republican platform, and like I said, this is where we diverge from what would have typically been a conservative thing, is you know, they want to say, well, we want the land for the states, and we want it un- unencumbered. So they run a you – know, so you know, some state has a city. They do a lousy job. They don't manage their budget. So they can say, well, we're going to sell off the woodlands that you walk five minutes from your back door to go hunt. We'll sell that off to cover a one-time budget shortfall. That ain't happening. That, that, that's not what – uh, you know, we want to do. We want to be able to utilize the, some of those lands to obviously you know, take advantage of some of the energy that's there, um, but to make sure that those lands remain in public hands. Now, you can use a little bit more integration and management from the state, but the states sort of want a lot of, on the Republican side, sort of want all of these lands back. They want to do whatever they want with them. They want to be able to use them. To, once they're gone, they're gone. So you can't do that. And so you have, you know, our, our interior secretary, Ryan Zinke from, you know, um, Montana, it's a friend of mine, and when I was still working with the campaign, I was involved in the transition team to help put him into that position. And you know, he's you know again one of those conservatives that goes against you know some of the Republican dogma about this. Now, you know, would there be people? Like, well, you know, would there ever be an exception? Sure, there are areas. I mean, I've you've probably seen it in in the U.S. I mean, I have friends that you know they'll have a ranch, and there's a thousand acres in the middle of their ranch that's public land. But there's no access to it. I actually haven't seen that. I, I, I've, I've experienced. And so, so you know, these landowners are saying, well, there's public land in the middle of my land, but no one has access to it unless they could basically drop in by skydiving. Why not move this to the corner of my land and give me that? Give me the, you know, there, there's probably ways you could make trades that make sense that in aggregate actually benefits. Meaning, what's a thousand acres of land that you can't access? What does it do for you? Know, nothing. You know, is there's... Probably, you know, I don't know, let's take it, Las Vegas. There's probably areas on the edge of the strip of Las Vegas that are public land, but there's no animals living there. Okay, now if you wanted to do something, that, but, you know, lands that people have grown up hunting with, walking out their back door, to, you know, we got to keep that tradition alive. So that was something I fought very hard for. It was something, you know, where we went against, you know, a lot of conservative dogma. Now, we may not always have the, you know, support of all the Republicans, uh, you know, when it comes to this, but you know, we, we understand the issue and it's an important one to us because again, you know, if someone has to, used to, you know, walk 20 minutes to go to their public land spot to take their kid hunting and now they have to drive four hours, guess what? They're going to take up golf and they're going to pick up a different hobby. And you know, the outdoor stuff, again, fishing, hunting, shooting, all these things, they're such, you know, exemplify, you know, American Americana tradition that, you know, you want to, you need that access to be available to all. These are issues that matter to me. Is Patagonia suing you guys? I have no idea. I don't. You know. That's, so that's a totally different. That's a dad thing, right? I, I would that's imagine a White that, House thing. That's, that's a probably, White it's probably, House. I don't know if they're. I don't know if they can sue. You know, but you know, maybe they want to lead some sort of resistance. But it's, it's fine. I'm more of a Sims guy anyway. <laughs> I'll cut that out. <laughs> no, you can leave it in. It's all. It, 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 it's it's all good. You know. Listen, Sorry. trust me. I, I can buy overpriced Gore-Tex from a lot of places. <laughs> Doesn't have to be Patagonia. Um, is there anything that's really frustrating for you? Well, I think it's some of that. I mean, it's there is sort of the there is the misconception out there about all of these things. That, that's like you know, if you have some confidence in yourself, like you can't read. I mean, I don't know. Maybe your world's different a little bit than mine, but like you can't even read some of your social feed, or you'd want to go kill yourself, right? It's yeah, a, it's a little yeah. different. There's always something, but no, uh, especially I don't, I don't, with the outdoor stuff. But I don't mean from the idiots. I mean to have people like. 
myself and people who are like-minded, who share the same passions, to have them not know. No, listen, I, I get that. And you know, you're never going to win them all over. I think that's why I probably say when I have an opportunity to do something like this, be like, yeah, test yeah. me out, try me, quiz me. Let's see if I actually, hey, you know this world well. You really can't fake it. And I've seen that a lot in politics. You know, you got the guy, I'm a really big Second Amendment guy. He's standing there with a shotgun with his trigger on the finger pointing at someone's face. It's like, you're probably not. Otherwise, you wouldn't be breaking like 12 safety rules in one B. So, you know, you you sort of get it. um, And and people get it pretty quickly. And so that's why, you know, again, for me with a lot of that, you know, I have those guys in the outdoor industry that they'll see those comments. I mean, so guys that are really in that world, you know, they'll jump in there to my defense and be like, wait a minute. (laughs) Like, I've, I've spent my time down with, you know, in a camp, like you probably don't want to play that game in terms of experience or authenticity, or is he the guy that you know only flies into El Camp on a G five and does it? You know, it, it's just not what I do. And we just don't know unless and we you hear you otherwise. wouldn't know that. And you, no matter, and I could say it till I'm blue in the face, and some people are never going to listen anyway. This is why I do these these interviews in person. I need to be able to read your all of your faces. I have yeah. to be able to read them. I think it's fair. And yeah. I don't know enough about the politics yeah, to sit here and argue with you, nor do I honestly want to argue no, with exactly. you. exactly. But I could honestly walk out of this and say, you seem pretty legit and straightforward about what you believe in. Oh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't really mince words. And, you know, and again, I, I think it's probably why I do have, you know, some of that following that I have. It's because, hey, I'm honest. You may not always like to hear it, but it's easier. It's too hard to go through <laughs> life pretending to be something else. It's like, hey, I got to be who I am. And, you know, like I said, that happened with me with the hunting when I, you know, I took a stance that, hey, you know, isn't going to be popular, isn't going to win your friends, but it's what I believe in and I understand it and I get it. I'm actually, you know, in that world. It's like, okay, well, now that it's there, here's my chance. And because of it, I've met a lot of great people, a lot of good friends, got invited on a lot of cool trips and, uh, you know, got a lot of great relationships out of it. Any aspirations to do anything bigger? Did you want to get into politics? Do you want to run for president? <laughs> you know, that not, sounds, uh, by the way, I've never uh, asked that before yeah, on this show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, right now, no. I mean, now, it, I'm probably better served, frankly, utilizing some of my, po- you know, my following, utilizing, you know, some of my ability to be able to, you know, talk about some issues and actually just going and spending 15, 20% of my time, like helping other people to, you know, to go run and be one of 100, you know, 435 people in Congress. I don't know. I'm probably better off like helping 25 guys get elected in positions that matter, that believe in the same stuff that I do. Let them do the dirty work, take the time to help them get to where they are. And, you know, frankly, be able to move the needle more that way. Can you now, take them to on these trips with you and take them on these public land trips? Oh, have listen, like I said, I, you know, I, I got in a lot of hell, you know, a few weeks ago because when I was out in Montana, you know, stumping with Greg Gianforte, you know, we went fly fishing, uh, you know, on the 16 mile and uh, we went out you know, shooting prairie dogs, which is a pretty common thing in Montana, but other people run with it. You know, the evolution of the story was he's shooting prairie dogs in Montana. Pretty common thing. Pretty much everyone does it. Like it's not a big, like that's even something the left will actually almost agree with in Montana, yeah. you know, to they're shooting pregnant prairie dogs to they're shooting lactating pregnant prairie dogs to they're shooting pregnant dogs. Where like, does that come from? The media that doesn't, you know, that's the thing you have so many people, especially when it comes to hunting, like so many people talking about issues that they're, they know they're vehemently, you know, on one side, but they literally have no information. They have no understanding that like you see it with gun laws, you know, guys writing regulations that, you know, wouldn't know a trigger from a muzzle. And, you know, yet they're talking about it and opining on things that they can't fathom because they have a voice piece and because they think they know, you know, about the issue. But so that's just sort of the evolution of the attempted takedowns. I mean, there were literally articles about he's shooting pregnant dogs. I'm like, what are you talking about? It was literally the dumbest (laughs) thing I've ever heard. You're a madman. I'm a crazy man. So, you know, that's what it's like. So, you know, so I've spent a lot of time with it and I'll, I'll probably continue to do that. Um, you know, so as far as other political aspirations right now, I, pr- I probably have, you know, my kids are too young. It takes too much time and, you know, we'll worry about that at another time. Fair enough. Okay. couple last things. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you would like to use this opportunity to address the outdoor community? I find my audience to be a pretty intelligent audience. Mm-hmm. They listen. They take the time to listen. Is there anything you wanted to say to them? Well, listen, I mean, we, we probably covered a lot. I mean, I imagine, you know, they see, you know, a lot of the passion certainly that I have for this stuff, but, you know, it... Uh, you know, again, it is something that I've I've based my life around, and so wanting to protect that is is something that's there. I mean, you know, again, I'm not involved in the administration, but I think you know when I read about some of the stuff as it relates to, oh my God, they want to take 
and they want to drill oil in a well, you know, they forty five million you know square area. Like there, there's a way that you can actually have the best of all worlds and like let everyone benefit from natural resources and do it responsibly. And but today, the the reaction to these things is so binary, which is go in there and do everything, or oh my god, if they do it, you're going to destroy. And there's so much more complexity to these things. You know, and I think people have to look at that a little bit more intelligently, you know, especially when you look at sort of the more global ramifications of not doing certain things or doing certain things in other areas. So, you know, it's it, it's just something that I unfortunately seems like it's become so polarized. Um, and I don't think it needs to be because I think there are ways to do things and have the best of both worlds if you do them all responsibility and within reason. Other than that, I'm going to ask you just a last couple quick questions about yeah, fishing. Let's do it. Saltwater or freshwater? Ooh. You have one, wow. one to choose. Only one. And it could be flats fishing Man. or Ooh, deep see. sea. Your choice. Because they're, they're so different, right? I mean, I know. The, the trout side of things, I mean, there's something, you know, I love just, you know, the art and the, uh, you know, the, the matching of the hatch and the getting in and figuring out what they're doing and just the scenery. Because I'm probably more of a mountain guy than I am a beach guy. Okay. Um, yeah. Now... You know, you, you include flats fishing, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, that's a little bit of both because that's a little bit like combining hunting and fishing. So it's that's you got a I little think. bit, you know. And then you know, you got the big salt water, which is you know, the tug is the drug. And uh, but man, if I had to do one, it, it would actually probably be hard to say no to just you know, pure you know, trout fishing. You know, like fly fishing for trout. I, I think. Look at you back to your basics. Yeah, I'll just go back to it. You know what I mean? Your, I know. your basics. I, you know, again, it's not to say, you know, I, I love what, what I love about all of the stuff with the outdoor world. About the time I'm getting bored with one thing, it's like now we're cycling into something else. So That's it's exactly like now right. we're, you know, still probably towards the tail end of like the prime hatch season for, you know, my stuff up in the Catskills. And, you know, just that's epic but you know what you can start hitting some of the striper stuff maybe going offshore and then you'll be into the fall where there'll still be good fly fishing and hey some areas you can actually you know bring a shotgun and do cast and blast for some of the waterfowl in some of these areas and you know, we, we we do that and have a good time and then all of a sudden you're into the saltwater stuff and then you're into deer season and uh, see you got it down. So, no, you, I, got it down. I, you get it down so i mean yeah i you know, I, I like to try to become a master of all of those things, but I do love the just the diversity of, of changing, and it just makes you long for the stuff a little bit more. Is there a trip that you haven't been on yet that you really want to go on? Ooh, wow. Listen, I, I've been... There are, obviously, but you know, I've been really lucky in terms of being able to do some pretty cool stuff. I mean, you know, I get to do some pretty extreme hunts. I've done some pretty awesome fishing stuff. I mean, I, I probably want to do a little bit more of the, uh, you know, journey destination type fishing would love to do like you know trout down in new zealand or something like that probably a little bit more of the you know more you know wild steelhead slash atlantic salmon thing you know the, the real issue then is you know I, I have we talked about it a little bit before we started recording but like even new york state as crazy as it sounds i mean it has some pretty good and diverse like options you have sort of steelhead up in the you know different kind of steelhead than what you're used to i get it but you know, pretty good fishing up in, you know, Lake Ontario trips area. I have awesome stuff in the Catskills. And if I want, I can travel up to the Adirondacks, get sort of the lake type stuff and, you know, other great rivers. And then you have all the great saltwater options off of Long Island. And um, so I have such good fishing here that a lot of my trips do tend to probably veer more towards the hunting stuff. Right. Just because it's, a, you know, it's a little different. But there's so much to do and I just I want to sort of check them all off and then there's the ones that you fall in love with you try to make annual trips and the real problem is there's only so much time you just sound like all of us right yeah, now. Uh, are you able to fish without protection like are you are do you getting up here I felt like I was yeah it's a little a different this I mean like I said I uh, you know before you know before January it was no problem I just sort of did what I always wanted to I mean what about I, now can you just go out yeah, I can you know just have a detail that follows and you know they'll usually hang somewhere else and so you know it, it's it's pretty good. They're working with me. I think it, I imagine it's a little bit of an unconventional uh, th- thing for them as well. And it's a it's obviously a huge change for me because I've spent, like I've said, I've probably spent maybe you know more, north of six months in the back of a truck. You know, in terms of individual nights, like over my life. I mean, I'll still do it if I drive somewhere. It's like I'm going well get somewhere at two in the morning. Like I'm just going to sleep there. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of different now, but, you uh, need to get one of these guys to be one of your fishing buddies. Yeah. Like you know, a, le- a legit one. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I, I got, I got a lot of fishing buddies though, so it, it, it works out <laughs> well. And, 
Um, so yeah, no, it's changed a little bit, but uh, you know, for the most part, I still do what I, you, you ultimately have to live your life and, and, and do that kind of stuff. It's just a little bit more complicated logistically these days. Do you, and this is me kind of being sensitive, but do you ever miss it? Like, like privacy? Just miss being just yeah. before. Do you ever just miss it? Yeah, no, of course. Listen, there's, you know, I actually was able to sort of get the best of both worlds before all of this in the sense that. Hey, if I was in a suit, there was some recognition, whether it be from you know the apprentice or from just being out there from a business world. Some, but like I could throw on jeans and a hat and be like totally anonymous, you know. Or, or I mean, I could literally go into you know local fly shop up in the Catskills and people are talking you know about my father even at the early time during the stuff, and I'm just like, and you know my buddies who are guys they're just laughing because they're just I'm right there and they have no idea. Now it's a little bit harder, even if I'm dressed down. They're sort of that. Wait a second. Um, you know, so that is a different change. Right. Um, and, you know, again, I don't get the best of both worlds, which is, hey, I can take advantage of it when I'm in the suit and I can sort of get away from it when I'm in cash. Now it's a little bit, uh, little bit harder to get away from it. Is there anything that you would like to add or ask me? Well, you know, when, when are we going fishing? You know, I can't believe you're blowing through New York during this time of year and not going up to the Catskills. Well, I was it's, in Pulaski. I mean, you inter- you'd hoagie Carmichael. You, you know, come on. <laughs> you know, what's going on? I was just in Pulaski. I was just teaching for the last few days over there. And then I went to Wilmington. Nice. And then now I've come back down. Yeah, I'm not here very often, I guess. So you should have, I mean, literally on the way from the from Pulaski to here, you're going like Route 17. Yeah, that's so, right. So, I mean, you passed all that great trail water, like I the know, West Branch I of did. the Delaware River and, yeah, you know, great, great fishing. I mean, you know, a, again, it's actually quite technical. Like, it's not a great place to bring a beginner. That's not a concern for you, obviously. But, right. like, you know, it's one of those, you know, my, my buddies are guys that always like, Hey, what do we tell our clients? We basically say, expect to catch nothing. That way you won't be disappointed because it's, you know, but it's great because they're technical, hard. When you catch fish there, you can sort of go anywhere else and catch, but there are just great wild trout up there. Have you caught a wild steelhead yet? Uh, I have over in Alaska. In Alaska. Have you caught a Um, wild BC Skeena size huge badass monster That I have not done. Okay. That I have not done. So it's, you know, I've spent a lot of time in BC, but most of that... Is actually hunting, so we got to we got to do that. And my my spay rod, I, I can I can hold my own, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm a much better single hand rod guy than a you know sort of you know saltwater casting is probably my thing, and that that I can yeah. do. So, you know, you're gonna have to tune me up a little bit on the spay. I can do it. That's easy. I can do it, but it's you know it sometimes gets a little ugly. <laughs> Nothing else you want to add? I think we're good, right? I think so too. I'm gonna wrap it up. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Be sure to tune into the following episode when I sit down with Patagonia's Corley Kenna to roll up our sleeves and dive into an in-depth education about public land. Thanks for listening.